This morning we will carry on where we left off a couple of weeks ago. Um, and we are um, currently teaching a series of, of messages entitled Understanding Our Covenant Benefits and Our Covenant Responsibilities. And uh, as part of that, we are teaching on the principle and on the concept of tithes and offerings. And the fact that we haven't done so in some years now, actually, I thought I'll just rather than moving on, I thought we'll have another look at it, uh, uh, really to be able to teach on the whole uh, covenant responsibility of, of, of tithing. Uh, we can't do it in a couple of weeks. There's just so much in the Word. And by the way, if you haven't got an outline in your hand, just raise up your hand and somebody's going to get you one. And so I want to have another look at that today. And of course, it also means that we won't be coming back to this truth. You know, we're cycling through different truths uh, throughout the year, and we won't be coming back to this in a hurry. And it just means that uh, these messages and the outlines will be available online and also will be available to be recorded onto CDs that uh, uh, you may choose to purchase or you may choose to pass on to somebody else and encourage them with these truths. Uh, I wanted to, once again want to start reading with our theme scripture out of the book of Hebrews. Uh, chapter 8 and verse 6 and there it says but now Jesus our high priest has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood for he's the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises and so for some a uh, couple of weeks there we have uh, talked about the fact that we are now under the new covenant uh, a new testament we have a better covenant established on better promises, and it's all been made possible because of our high priest called Jesus Christ, that he laid down his life that we could live. He shed his own blood so that this new covenant, which, by the way, is a blood covenant, it's more than just a signed contract or some sort of an agreement. It is a covenant, and covenants are the strongest binding agreements known to man on earth today, blood covenant. Uh, that covenant has been signed in the blood of Jesus Christ. So in other words, Jesus is totally and utterly committed to it. All right? And of course, when we get born again, we are committed to that same covenant. And, uh, uh, and, and I just want to carry on from where we, we left off there and, and point out that uh, when God instituted the new covenant or the new testament, that he never intended for the Old Testament scriptures to be ignored or thrown away. For example, the practice of tithing, although initiated in the Old Testament, has been carried over into the New Testament. Many scripture passages relating to it are found in the Old Testament, yet tithing is still applicable in the New Testament today. It's interesting, but uh, some once or twice referred to the anti-tithing lobby, that there, that, that there are people who, who just who don't just not tithe, but they're very anti-tithing. Sometimes people don't tithe because they haven't been taught. Uh, they don't know any better, and, and that's all right. And of course, when truth comes, we step into that practice. But other people are fiercely opposed to it. And those who are fiercely opposed to it will typically always use the excuse of saying, oh, it's an Old Testament thing. We don't do that anymore today. And I would like to point out to you today that there are many things in the Old Testament that we still do today. And uh, so with that, uh, I want to read uh, from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, where the Bible tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for inspiration instruction in righteousness. And I think this is probably a good time and a good place to pray and to trust God that God will speak to us today. Heavenly Father, we once again want to thank you, Lord, for speaking to us, for instructing us in righteousness, for correcting us, Lord, where we are in error, for reproving us, Lord, where we have, Lord, uh, been somehow tied up in wrong practice. Lord, we want to walk in the truth. We want to, Lord, we want to live in the secret place of the Most High God. And Lord, we want to walk under the, the abiding shadow of Almighty God. And Lord, we commit this time to you. We thank you again, Lord, that your word is truth. We thank you, Father, that, Lord, uh, your word is spirit and it is life. And I thank you, Lord God, that spirit and life is imparted into us. And we thank you, Lord God, that we are changing. Lord, that strongholds are demolished. Lies are exposed. Deception is challenged and cleared up. And Lord, the truth is established in each and every one of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Please notice the passage that we've just read here. It says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And uh, do you know if, if we were to take time now and look at this uh, word all scripture and really like study it out, go into the Greek, uh, go into the dictionaries and, and, and really drill right down. Do you know what we would find? We will find that all scripture means all scripture. All right. It's just sometimes, you know, people have, uh, have made every effort to explain things away. But, you know, all Scripture really means all Scripture, which means it's Old Testament and New Testament. And Romans chapter 15, verse 4, confirms that over again. It says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instructions. Earlier times uh, is also a reference to earlier dispensations or whatever was written in Old Testament. It was written for our instructions. It says, uh, uh, another translation says, it is written for our teaching. So therefore, we are still taught from Old Testament scriptures. All right, so again, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through perseverance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So we are taught, we are instructed by Old Testament scriptures as much as we are by New Testament scriptures. If that were not the case, we could take the Bible, uh, take about the last, the first two thirds of it, which is typically Old Testament, tear that out and throw it away and just run around with a Bible that's much lighter and easier to carry. All right, but God does not want us to do that. Again, when God instituted the new covenant, he never planned for the Old Testament to be ignored or thrown away or, 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 or anything like that. He still wants to teach us from it. And friends, uh, in that respect, you and I as believers, we need to differentiate between the Old Testament covenant... It's a bit of an anomaly, but uh, sometimes we've got to drill right down. Testament and covenant is actually the same thing. Uh, but people know uh, the New, New Testament or the Bible, the New Testament part is the New Testament, but it also means New Covenant. So we need to differentiate between the Old Testament covenant, which is no longer valid, and Old Testament scripture, which is still valid to this day. Can you see the difference? If you can't see the difference, you'll, you'll get muddled up. Um, and you know the Bible says that we have to rightly discern the word of truth. We can't just say, "Oh, it no longer applies today." It's all you know. It's all west of the book of uh, uh, book of Matthew. Everything that's on that side no longer applies today, and everything on this side applies today. That's not true. All right. The Old Testament covenant began with Moses, and it ended with Jesus Christ. It began some three and a half, uh, four four thousand years ago, uh, and it ended. Uh, 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross. That's the covenant. Uh, the covenant is recorded primarily in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. All right, that's where the old covenant is talked about. The rest of the Old Testament refers back to it uh, and brings additional insights and, and so forth, but, but the covenant specifically is listed in Exodus, uh, Leviticus and in Numbers. In fact, specifically from Exodus chapter 12 onwards, uh, when it talks about, uh, and, and by the way, if you've never been there, you're a new believer, don't worry about the details. But for those of you that are familiar with the scriptures, Exodus chapter 12 speaks about the Passover lamb. That was the first time when the Passover lamb was instituted. The Passover lamb, of course, was a type or a shadow of Jesus Christ. Uh, that lamb died, if you like, with, with, foreshadowing the death of Jesus Christ, who, who is called the Lamb of God. Um, and uh, the, the, the blood that was shed by the Passover lamb year after year covered the sins of the people with view of the Lamb of God coming. And when his blood was shed, the sins of the people is washed away. There's a difference between covering and washed away. Uh, the Old Testament uh, Passover lamb uh, was not able to deal with the conscience of the people. It covered the sins as far as uh, their relationship between them and God was concerned. But th their conscience still had guilt over it uh, uh, year after year after year. But now the blood of Jesus Christ not only washes our sins away, but it also washes our conscience. So therefore, we can now stand here uh, and say, I'm completely pure and holy, unblameable and unreprovable in God's sight. And that is amazing. That is a New Testament, a New Covenant blessing. So, um, 
on chapter 12 and then it gets into chapter 15 then on from there they're at Mount Sinai Moses goes up on the mountain he receives the Ten Commandments and all the other laws uh, what's called the moral law the ceremonial law and the old old covenant is instituted well that thing ended when Jesus Christ uh, came um, into into the earth and died on the cross and before he died uh, he shared communion of what we call the Lord's table and he says take eat he says this is my body which is broken for you he says take off this cup and drink of it this is my blood of the new covenant so the Old Testament covenant began with Moses ended with, with Jesus Christ it is recorded primarily in Exodus Leviticus and Numbers however New Old Testament scripture begins in the book of Genesis and ends with the book of Malachi all right it covers several covenants some of which are still in force today and I made reference to that a few weeks ago that the covenant that God established with Noah is alive today God promised to Noah that he would never flood the earth again and he set the sign of the covenant namely the rainbow into the sky and that covenant is still alive today all right, and there's various other covenants that are still uh, alive today that we don't have time to, to, to go into right now. Now, the Old Testament scriptures contains patterns and principles which are still applicable to us today. And you know, I say all of these things to answer people's argument where they say tithing is an Old Testament thing, it is no longer applicable today. Have you ever noticed? This is an interesting thought. Uh, just occurred to me one day. I'm reading through the uh, scriptures there, particularly the New Testament. And if you read through the, ep specifically the epistles of Jesus or the letters, let me start again, the letters that Paul wrote, that uh, John wrote, that uh, uh, you know, different writers of the New Testament wrote, much of it is to correct the people's thinking. You ever thought about that? That God is basically challenging prevailing norms and thinking patterns and practices and uh, and uh, to, to, to that effect sometimes when we preach it is to challenge prevailing thinking in fact you can pick up some books that were written back in the 70s and you will find that the writer typically addresses stuff that was going on back then um, which might no longer be going on today or not to that same degree you will also find that preachers this is an interesting thing that preachers from different parts of the world might go to another part of the world and preach about something to correct a thinking that's not even pre prevalent in their particular environment but it is prevalent in their own environment for example, you might get a, 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 a guest speaker coming from America and he will tear into something that's not even an issue for us here. So it means they haven't done their homework. It means they have not necessarily heard from the Lord in regards to some of the stuff that they bring into another environment. Have you know that in America it's actually quite popular to go to church? And you will find that every American president will always say, God bless America. Well, I'm still waiting for the day for one of our presidents or prime minister to get up and say, God bless New Zealand. All right, can you imagine our former prime minister, Helen Clark, to have stood up and said, God bless New Zealand? That would have been the day, wouldn't it? <laughs> Praise God. Anyway, now that I've uh, nearly painted myself into a corner, I shall move on. All right, so again, much of it is to correct thinking. It's correcting practices and attitudes and prevailing mindsets and belief systems. It's interesting that, that Jesus spoke into that very same thing. And in Matthew chapter 13, verse 52, Jesus said to them, He says, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings forth out of his treasure things new and old. All right. A scribe. Uh, scribes were the Old Testament uh, uh, teachers of the Lord. They were the ones that hand wrote uh, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and also taught it. Um, and, and, and now Jesus is pointing out that once a, one of those Old Testament guys uh, gets born again and comes into the New Covenant truth, he's like a man that brings out of his treasure, out of his storehouse things new and old. So in other words, he doesn't just teach the new stuff, he still teaches the old. Though it's been there for a while, many of these things are still applicable to us today. So again, to repeat, Jesus taught his disciples that New Testament preachers will bring forth things new and old. 
although we no longer uh, live under the old covenant today, we still teach patterns and principles from it, as well as from other Old Testament scriptures. Imagine if suddenly Proverbs were no longer there. What a tragedy that would be. It's part of the Word of God. Imagine if the Psalms were no longer there. What a tragedy. That would just be absolutely tragic. Uh, and many other uh, truths that are listed there in the Old Testament that are still applicable to us today. In fact, Jesus, as part of his ministry, he frequently uh, affirmed Old Testament truths as being applicable in the New Testament. Uh, one example here is um, uh, when, when Jesus was dialoguing with the, with the, the Jews at the time, uh, many times with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, and uh, and they asked him different questions about this, that, and the other. And here in Matthew 19, verse 4, it says that Jesus answered and he said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, of course, Jesus was referring to a passage of Scripture way back in uh, the book of Genesis, all right? And because Jesus knew that. And he said to these guys, haven't you guys read? Because they asked him a question about one thing or right? other. And he says, Let, let's get back to what the Word says. Haven't you read? And uh, he says, so then uh, they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And so basically the principle and the pattern of the marriage as laid out in the Old Testament is still applicable to us today. All right? One man, one woman in a lifelong bond of marriage. Nothing's changed. If it had been changed, God would have told about, about us about it in the New Testament. If he had changed his mind or tweaked anything, he would have let us know about it. If he said nothing, it still stands today. All right? Of course, there's much teaching in the New Testament about uh, about marriage and, 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 and all of these good things. Now, here's another one. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, uh, Jesus here is asked a question. He says, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, people have said that, uh, you know, the, the Old Testament is all law and the New Testament is all grace and all love. That is not true. Jesus just referred to an Old Testament scripture right there, one of which is listed in the book of Leviticus where the Old Covenant is discussed. All right, and when Jesus was questioned about which are the great commandments, he says, well, here they are. Number one, love God. Number two, love people. Now, interesting, uh, in John chapter 13, Jesus said in verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you shall love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So in other words, the principle and the pattern of loving God and loving our neighbor is laid out in the Old Testament still stands today. And here are the two scripture passages uh, listed there in uh, Deuteronomy 6, 5 and in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 8. Now, what's interesting is when Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, the casual reader of the Bible would say, oh, here's a new deal. It, it hasn't obviously been around before. But that word new there is, is written not so much new in time, but it is new in being refreshed. It is new in being largely unused um, and so in other words we could have an item that's been made for, 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 for argument's sake 2,000 years ago it's never been used we could bring it out of the box today and say wow here's a brand new item well it's not new it was made 2,000 years ago but it's new in the sense that it's never been used and you know much of that law that Jesus talked about in loving God and loving people has been quite unused by generations and generations of Jewish people uh, and so that's why Jesus says a new, a new commandment I give to you that you should love one another. So the word new there could also be called a refreshed commandment I give to you, uh, a renewed commandment I give to you. Uh, let me uh, point uh, to uh, a passage of Scripture where Paul the Apostle uses an Old Testament passage to validate the New Testament uh, practice of speaking in tongues. How many of you know that they did not speak 
in tongues in the Old Testament. That is entirely a New Testament practice. Yet Paul still used, used an Old Testament scripture to refer to it. And here it is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 21, Paul says, In the law it is written. Please notice, in the law, meaning in the old covenant, it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore tongues are for a sign, not for those who believe, but to the unbelievers. And what Paul did right there was he used an Old Testament passage to validate a New Testament practice. So in other words, the argument that what's in the Old Testament no longer applies today is really does not stand. Uh, it is spoken in ignorance, uh, and I suspect sometimes in defiance, where people just have not got a heart for God. Because if we have a heart for God, giving will be one of the most easiest things. And if there's one thing that I got out of that last week's seminar, it's that it's a heart thing. It is a, it's putting God first. It's loving God and putting Him first is the primary principle with what we're discussing in terms of entering into the uh, prosperity of God and the whole aspect of uh, of uh, tithes and of offerings. Now, um, uh, the next passage of Scripture there, and I hope you're still with me. I know we're on the journey and we're going somewhere. But the next passage of Scripture here, Paul refreshes the principle of tithing. Let me just talk about that word refreshing here because I thought about this. Sometimes I get online and I read the news uh, uh, website and I click on them and I might leave it open for a, um, for a half an hour, uh, perhaps an hour. I come back to it and I click the refresh button on my web browser. How many of you know what a web browser is? The thing that you serve the internet with and the program that opens up content on the internet and it sits there for a while and when I refresh and suddenly, oh, there's new content there. Um, and, and some of the old stuff has been dropped further down or it's been removed altogether. When Jesus Christ came into established a New Testament, he hit the refresh button. Some things are brand new, uh, been replaced what happened in the Old Testament, but other things are still there. And, uh, uh, and Paul affirms that uh, here in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where he refreshes the principle of tithing all over again. Because people have accused uh, uh, Paul of saying, oh, Paul never taught about tithing. Yes, he did. Let me show you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13, Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church. Once again, Paul is correcting prevailing thinking. Paul is correcting attitudes and mindsets and practices that were prevalent in the uh, Corinthian church. By the way, the Corinthian church were a stingy church. And Paul talked to them about the Philippian church, who were a very uh, generous church. Uh, the Corinthian church were a very prosperous church but they were stingy. The Philippian church were actually quite poor uh, in terms of they did not have the prosperity that they enjoyed in Corinth, but nevertheless, they were a very generous people. And incidentally, when Paul went to, to Corinth to start a church there and to plan and to minister to them, they never gave him nothing. But Paul received offerings that were uh, given by the Philippian church out of the, he says, out of their poverty they gave. And he says, so in other words, that Paul was able to continue his ministry he used the offerings received from this church to minister in that church. Friends, can I say that that's not right? That uh, we need to give our tithe always in the house where we're receiving our spiritual nourishment. The tithe is not to be sent all over the place. It would not make sense for you to go down the countdown and fill up your grocery basket with a whole bunch of goods and walk out the door. And when they say, oh, hey, you haven't paid, say, well, no, I haven't. I'm planning to go down to, to pack and save and pay my bill down there. It's not right. I mean, they, they will just, they will wrestle you to the ground. They will call the police, and they might even call the, the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the van to come with the boys in white and take you away, thinking there's something wrong with you. you. You're trying to buy over here, and you're trying to pay for over there. Well, the same thing is true in the local church. <laughs> I can see that some of you are getting really excited this morning. <laughs> is our rubber band of tolerance getting stretched a little bit right now? Let me read again. Paul says... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things of the things of the temple and those who serve... Let me start. I think I missed something. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple and those who serve at the altar of the offerings? Even so... <laughs> okay, I'll start again. 
Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the things of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Can I suggest that uh, Corinthian church, Gentile church, um, non-Jewish uh, people, uh, and so forth, that that it still presupposes that they have an Old Testament understanding. If we don't have the Old Testament to refer to right now, we haven't got a clue what Paul's talking about. And in fact, the whole chapter there, Paul is speaking into that very aspect that in the Old Testament, the priests who ministered the holy things at the altar also received their living from that. Those who ministered at the temple were able to get their living from that. In fact, the in terms of the Levitical priesthood, there was the, the Aaronic priesthood. Aaron was the high priest, and his, his sons ministered in the holy place and in the holy of holies, whereas the Levites were responsible for the outside and were supposed to carry a lot of that stuff and everything. And basically, the whole Levitical priesthood was supported by the other tribes who brought their tithes and their offerings. And that's the understanding that Paul brings into the Corinthian church, which, by the way, was a New Testament church. He says, even so, the Lord has commanded. Please, commanded. It's not a suggestion. It's not sort of something, try this. The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. <clears throat> so once again, the Old Testament principle and pattern was that the tithes and the free will offerings of the people will pay for the priest's keep. That's how God set it up. That's how God wanted this deal to carry on. That word, even so, <clears throat> in the New King James Version, uh, is, uh, is listed as on the same principle in the Amplified Translation, or along the same lines in the Message Translation, and in the same way in most other translations. So in other words, when Paul is talking about the whole aspect of uh, of uh, preaching the gospel and living from the gospel, he employs the principle and the pattern of the Old Testament, and he says it's still alive today. Um, let me turn to Numbers then, and let's uh, see how God has set this deal up and what God's intention was all along. Numbers chapter 18, and again, there's the whole chapter there speaking into that. We, have, we don't have time to do the whole chapter, but we have time to look at a couple of verses. Verse 21, God speaking to uh, the Levites, uh, in fact, God is speaking specifically to Aaron, and he says, As for the tribe of Levi, your relatives, I will compensate them for their service in the tabernacle instead of an allotment of land. I will give them the tithes from the entire land of Egypt. Remember, of Israel, I'm sorry. Tithe of Israel, I'm already ahead of myself, sorry. Uh, remember when uh, the Israelites came out of Egypt? that came through the wilderness and went into the promised land. And God had commanded initially Moses and then Joshua to divide up the land to give them allotments. And there were 11 tribes that were given different parts of the lands, but the Levites were only given cities with no lands. Uh, or no, no vast stretches of lands. They had a little bit of uh, uh, grounds around their city and around their, their houses to be able to keep a little bit of livestock, if that. But otherwise, they were not given any lands. God said to the Levites, your job is not to go out farming and to plant fruit and grains and what have you. Your job is to minister about the temple. And God says, I've set it up in such a way that 11 tribes of Israel will go out farming, work the land and the produce. They will bring the tithe and the offering into the storehouse so that the priests, the, the other remaining tribe, have got something to eat. That's why God says in, in uh, Malachi chapter 3 and in verse 9, 10, and 11, He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there will be food in my house. And then he says, prove me now in this, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. So in other words, you guys that are out there in the field, working the field, planting and, and having crops and, and livestock and everything, he says, if you bring the tithe that there's food in my house, he says, I will open the windows of heaven over your lanes and over your houses and everything and make sure that your prosperity is secured. Let me show you something in the passage, and we're not there right now, but we can work from it from memory. God says, bring all the tithes that there will be food in my house. 
And then I open the windows of heaven and pour out on your lands and your houses. God listed his house before he listed the lands and the houses of the other people. And God spoke to me many, many, many years ago. And he said to me in terms of, and this is like way back before we went into ministry and everything. God said to me, he says, your prosperity depends on the prosperity of, of the house that you're a part of. In other words, if you make the prosperity of the house that you belong to a priority, God says, I'll make it a priority that I'll pour into your house. But if I'm so concerned about my own house and neglect the house of God, then I cannot enter into the prosperity of God. That's been a principle for this in mind for, 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 for many, many years now. Uh, and we've operated in this and it's worked very well for us. Uh, and so God listed his own house before he listed our own individual houses. And there is a message in that right there. The whole aspect of the tithe and everything that we've preached so far, and even what we heard last week uh, from the guest ministry that we had is, put God first. Put God first. And, and, and if you put God last, it's not going to work. Because God will know. <laughs> okay. But if you put God first... And I was just reminded there this morning as in our prayer meeting, I just had a thought there. It's like, hello. Uh, you know, sometimes we look at a situation, we look at a budget and say, look, this is just not going to work out. I just cannot put God first. If you bring the same scenario over into, and by the way, this whole deal over here works by faith and by faith alone. If you bring the same scenario over here with Abraham, who was an old man, and Abraham's wife was an old woman, and, and she was barren, and both of them were beyond their ability to produce children, yet God had promised them that they were going to have a son. And the Bible says, who against hope, in hope believed. And that's real faith. That's real faith. See, anybody can shout when everything's going well and even without much effort that there's a whole lot of good stuff happening. But in the day of trial, in the day of challenge, it requires faith from us. And Abraham had to operate by faith, otherwise he would have never received his son. And Frank, can I suggest to some of you, you're looking at your budget and say, it's just not going to work out. But you have to do exactly what Abraham did, who against hope, in hope believed that he was fully convinced that what God has promised he was able also to perform it's a faith thing I entirely and totally a faith thing and uh, so God says I have given you the tithes from the entire land of Egypt let me read from uh, verses 8 and verses 14 okay I'm getting muddled up again the, the entire land of, of Israel <laughs> Praise God. Did I pray this morning? It's like I'm having a bit of trouble with my mouth this morning. All, all right, here we go. Numbers 18, verse 8. Then the Lord said to Aaron, I myself make you responsible for the offerings given to me. In other words, you're in charge, Aaron. You work the whole thing out. All the holy offerings that the Israelites give, uh, give to me, I give to you and to your sons as your share, your continual portion. Your share of the holy things is that part which is not burned. So again, we require Old Testament understanding. Some of the things that they brought as offerings, some of them were sin offerings that were burned up completely. Other, other offerings were, were, uh, were other types of offerings where only, only the, 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 um, uh, the offal and the skin was burned, whereas the meat was kept. And so whatever wasn't burned belonged to the priesthood. It belonged to the, to the Levites and to Aaron and to all of his sons to eat, and that was their keep. All right? It says, when the people bring me, bring me gifts as most holy offerings, whether they're grain or sin or penalty offerings, they will be set apart for you and for your sons. I also give you the offerings of the Israelites present, uh, that the Israelites present to me. I give them to you and to your sons and to your daughters as a continual share. Verse 12, And I give to you the best of the olive oil and all the best new wine and the grain. Let's just stop right there. Uh, can I suggest that in terms of the best for, for the priests, in the Old Testament, over the preachers in the New Testament, God has not changed his mind one little bit. Um, and can I suggest, too, that part of your prosperity is to want to see the preachers prosper. And if you are bothered 
by a preacher prospering, you will hinder your own prosperity. So God says all the best that they bring to you. Why was it all the best? Well, that's what God demanded from the 11 tribes. God says, I want the first. I want the best. Don't bring anything lame. Don't bring anything sick. Don't bring the one that's got a blind, uh, you know, blind lame. Oh, get rid of him and give him to God. God says, bring nothing but the best. And it is not uncommon uh, to get into church environments where you step into the old church hall or church lounge and everything and you see lounge, lounge suites and, and furniture that somebody uh, couldn't be bothered to dump so they bought themselves something new and they took the old stuff down to the church not entirely uncommon I can smell it when I walk in and I hate the very smell of it and can I suggest that God hates that too read through the book of Malachi and God severely rebuked the people there he says you bring the old, the lame and the blind he says I don't want that stuff and, and, but, but at the same time, somebody's, somebody's uh, best could very well be uh, something that might be considered inferior, but to them it's the very best that they have. The widow that brought the mite was, oh, what a joke. What do you bring in just a mite? And here were rich people here that were, were throwing in much, much bigger amounts, but Jesus said that that mite is more important to me because it's all that she had rather than what these guys gave over here just out of their overflow. They were still sort of tipping God and everything else. And so God demands the best from us no matter what that means to you. Your best is not necessarily my best and my best is not necessarily your best and each other's best. Do you see what I'm saying? So God says all the best of the olive oil, um, of the new wine and of the grain, uh, this is what the Israelites give to me, the Lord, from the first crops that they harvest. When they bring to the Lord all the first things that they harvest, they will be yours. Anyone in your family who is clean may eat these things. Everything in Israel that is given to the Lord is yours. That's God's pattern, and that's God's principle. And when Paul then steps over into the New Testament there, and he hits the refresh button, some things disappeared, like the old Passover lamb has disappeared. Jesus Christ became the Passover lamb. But certain things were refreshed, and the tithe is one of those things that was refreshed. I got to be th thinking about this, and... Uh, and uh, <clears throat> Done a little calculation here, and by the way, maths is not my stronger part, but this is a real simple thing here. And you know, God commanded 11 tribes of Israel to give at least 10% of their income to the 12th tribe. The tithe means 10%. Of course, God says tithes and offerings. And uh, so there is an, uh, an assumed calculation here to bring it right down on, a, uh, on a, just a few people level. If 11 people give 15% of their income to one person, that person will be twice as prosperous as the 11 people individually. Uh, of course, we are talking about the 11 tribes of Israel. Actually, they ended up being, being 12 tribes tithing to the Levitical priesthood because Joseph, as a tribe, was removed and replaced by two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. So you still have 12 tribes out there, uh, if you like, tithing to the 13th. But, you know, some of that gets a bit, uh, gets a bit uh, uh, deep and a bit complicated there. But the principle is that if, if generally speaking, if 11 people give, say, 15%, and that 15% is only an assumed number, it should always be 10% as the tithe and then an offering beyond that. If it were a 5% offering, there would be 15% of the income given to that one person. That one person will be more prosperous than the 11 people individually. In other words, the tithe, should I say, the priests in the Old Testament enjoyed great prosperity if everything was done as God people had it uh, intended and as he had planned and as he had commanded the people. You see, tragically... Uh, prosperity and these principles that we're talking about have to be taught to people the Levites the priests uh, these guys were the preachers of the day they taught to people and it is a real problem when a church minister 
and this is not entirely uncommon, it's not like that here, but it is not entirely uncommon that you get some stingy deacon board who makes sure that the guy is kept as poor as what they can, just, just to put him on a maintenance, just so he gets by. Then this poor guy gets up Sunday after Sunday and tries to preach to the people about prosperity. And it's one of those things of do as I say, but don't do as I do, because I can't, can't afford a thing. I can't, I can't feed my wife properly. I can't feed my kids. There's no Christmas presents. There's absolutely nothing because the church board keep a lot of these guys absolutely poor. It's not right. It is not right. Um, and so again, if you take uh, an assumed average income of 10000 and, and I'm not specifying whether that should be weekly, monthly, or, or annually, okay? I'm just saying 10000 because it's a nice and easy figure. So we, 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 we have tithes and offerings of 15%, which ends up being $1,500. And the, the remaining income for each one of these 11 guys will be $8,500. All right, everybody can follow that calculation. If we take 11 times these tithes and offerings here of $1,500, it works out to be $1,650. And what suddenly struck me was, God... What did I say? Thank you. Uh, thank you for helping me. I got a bit muddled up. 11 times $1,500 is $16,500. What struck me at this calculation, I've never seen this before, that God had planned for his preachers and for his ministers to be at least twice as prosperous as everybody else. God says, I want food in my house. I don't want the lame. I don't want the broken down stuff. I don't want the cheap stuff, all the messy lounge suites and everything. I want new and I want the best. Now, turn over. Let's go into the New Testament because all of that has to be confirmed in the mouth of uh, two or three witnesses. In 1 Timothy, and we'll just uh, back up again here, based on that simple calculation, we could assume that God wanted his ministers to be very prosperous. Their remuneration, of course, was entirely based on the tithes and on the offerings of all of God's people. 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul speaking to Timothy, he says, The elders who do good work as leaders should be considered worthy of receiving double pay, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Now again, the term elder that has to be defined a little bit. Uh, nowadays we've got pastors. Then we got elders and deacons. In the New Testament times, the pastors were elders, and they were also uh, they were also uh, presbyters. So there's just different terminology for the same thing. And basically, the preaching elders, Paul says, the preaching pastors, he says, are worthy of receiving double pay, or uh, many translations call it double honor. Now, hello, haven't we just seen that in the Old Testament? where God says that I want 11 tribes, and this is on, a, on an assumed assumption. In all reality, in all reality, Jewish people, if they tithed properly, which they did some of the time, but many times not at other times, they would have given, according to some uh, scholarly calculations, some 23.5% of their income was given away, given into the work of the Lord. The tithe and offerings on an annual basis always came into the temple. Then the Bible talks about a, a, a third yearly tithe, that every third year there was an additional tithe that was given to the strangers, to the Levites, to the fatherless, and to the widows. Deuteronomy chapter 26. And this is where people get muddled up. If you think it's all one tithe, then suddenly you can understand where somebody's uh, uh, heretical teaching comes from, where people say, oh, just use your tithe to go on holidays, and use your tithe you know, to do this and that and the other. There are three tithes, and again, we don't have time to drill right down into it, but there were three tithes given by everyone of the Jews, or at least that's what was commanded. The first tithe and, and, and offerings besides were brought into the temple, into the house. Have you noted in the New Testament, the house is the church, uh, the local church that we are a part of. 
The second tithe was used to pay for their, for their festivals where they traveled from various parts of the land to go to Jerusalem and they were using that to pay for, for the costs associated with these public holidays. The third tithe was entirely given away from them and was given to the stranger, to the widow, to the fatherless and everything else. And that was God's system. Now, of course, some of that gets a bit involved and a bit complicated and I don't think it is necessary to drill right down into every detail of it because some of that is specific under the law of Moses, but the principle of the tithe still applies today. All right? And uh, can I say again that uh, from what I see in Scripture, the prosperity of the people by and large and in a general sense largely depends on the prosperity of the preacher. The prosperity in people's individual houses and businesses largely depends on the prosperity in God's house. And it might mean that you might have to make a shift. Because depending on what your tr religious tradition was from where you have come from, as I say, if the religious tradition that I have come from, the preachers, the priests, vowed a vow of poverty. And for all we know, they might think, well, they, they mean well. But that is completely contrary to the way that God set up the system. All right? God's not impressed by that, no matter how sincere we are at that. How do you know that we can be entirely sincere in something and still be completely wrong? And religious tradition serves us no good, uh, serves us nothing. We need to go back to what the Word says. So I'm not saying all of this. In fact, you probably don't hear a great deal of that stuff preached because a lot of preachers don't have the gumption to get up and to tell you these things. And I'm not saying any of this so that anything be changed. I'm very happy and I'm very well looked after. Thank you. But I'm saying that these truths have to go out because there are so many... You see, what was happening under, under the Old Testament that there were times when there were times of revival and the people rejoiced, they brought their tithes, they brought their offerings, everything went extremely well. There were other times where the people withheld the tithes and withheld the offerings. And there were all these people in the temple that were allocated by God to do temple service. And suddenly their income dried up and there was just no food in the house. So they were forced to go out to work as laborers. They were forced to go out to, to make other uh, means of income uh, available for themselves, which meant that the house of God was in disrepair. Temple worship broke down and people no longer had a place to come to where there was good preaching taking place, where they were able to offer sacrifices and offerings because many of them stopped bringing stuff anyway. And then there were other means of income like the temple tax. You know, when Jesus came and he talked about the temple tax, that temple tax was actually not necessarily a scriptural deal in the way that it was used. So long as people bring their tithes and their offerings, there is no need to use gimmicks to do fundraising. There's no need for any of these other things because there will always be prosperity in the house of God. There will always be enough money to send missionaries out to pay for everything that needs to be paid for and, and all of that. Because New Testament, I'm not remotely suggesting that all the tithes specifically need to go to the preacher today. Tithes and offerings is used for, for the strengthening and the extension of the kingdom of God. Uh, to pay for whatever needs to be paid for so that the gospel can go out. The original and continued purposes of tithes and offerings are, number one, to honor God and to acknowledge Him as our provider. Friend, if we do nothing else, God is to be honored. Um, in fact, uh, many years ago, a number of preachers, uh, over a hundred, got together and they said, look, let's work out what is the chief aim of man? What are we actually here for? And they worked out that the chief aim of human beings is to honor and to glorify God. That is our chief aim. All right. And bringing our tithe and bringing our offering is part of that honoring of God and to acknowledge that he is our provider. Number two, to finance kingdom activity in the earth. And now um, kingdom activities, obviously New Testament, churches, um, evangelists, missionaries, um, buildings, uh, TV stations, radio stations, printed gospel leaflets, and whatever means, internet to get the news out. That's what the tithe and the offering is allocated for in the New Testament now. And of course, thirdly, to connect God's people to God's covenant. Sadly, sometimes 
we only emphasize the latter part here where we say, look, you, this is part of your prosperity, that uh, on a Sunday by Sunday we receive tithes and offerings and we might refer to some of the scriptures where God says that he will open the windows of heaven and bless us and everything. And somebody might say, well, I'm blessed enough. But you still need to honor God. And somebody might say, oh, no, I'm, I don't need to tithe because after all I'm doing very well without it. Thanks very much. Yeah, but you still have to fund gospel activity. Is everybody all right this morning? Okay. And uh, the next point there that I would like to move to is that, that our tithe connects us to God's covenant. People don't know this. They don't understand this. They think that a lot of things are optional. That's why we're calling this series of messages is that they're covenant responsibilities and covenant benefits. And we can't enjoy all the covenant benefits unless we fulfill the covenant uh, responsibility. And... Uh, here in, uh, in Jericho, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, which is a type of the world, they came through the wilderness, which is a type of the turmoil that sometimes people experience between, you know, them getting saved, you know, before they are saved, there's like stuff that happens and everything. When they came across the Jordan River, which speaks, if, if you like, in terms of types and shadows of salvation, they came into the promised land. God says the very first city, says, I want you to raise it to the ground. I want you to destroy everything that you find in it with the exception of all vessels and goods that were made of precious metals such as silver, gold, bronze, and all of that stuff. He says, that is to be brought into the treasury of the Lord. Now, Jericho represents the tithe of the whole promised land. God says, I am giving you a land flowing with milk and honey. I give you all the cities, all the towns, all the villages. You will enjoy vineyards that you have not planted. He says, you will enjoy houses that you have not built. He says, all is yours. But God says, the first is always considered the best. And Jericho was the first. And as far as God was concerned, he considered it as the best. God said, I want you to raise everything to the ground. Wipe everything out, of course, except uh, Rahab and her family who helped God's people to get out of there. So the Jericho was deemed the first fruit or the tithe of the promised land. Israel was commanded to destroy everything in the city with the exception of all precious metals. Uh, metal goods that were uh, to be brought into the Lord's treasury. God considered a failure of bringing these devoted things into his treasury a violation of his covenant. And this is what a lot of New Testament believers don't understand. When the Bible speaks of, it, of a devoted thing in the Old Testament, the tithe was a devoted thing. In other words, it was set apart for a special use, for God's use. Um, and, uh, and here in, in this situation, there is a chap by the name of Achan. Achan was a part of the army that attacked Jericho and went in there and did whatever he had to do and everything else. Uh, but contrary to what everybody else did, Achan saw a nice um, dress, um, a garment that was embroidered with gold and with silver. And he had a few other bits that he saw that, ah, no, I'm not destroying that. That's too good to, to be destroyed. So he put it under his, uh, whatever he had on him, and he carried it home. And uh, under his tent, he dug a hole, he put it in there, covered it over again, and then he went to the meeting and he smiled. And he said, oh, wasn't that a great victory today? And uh, what had happened was that uh, the very next city was um, Ai, Jericho and Ai. Ai was only a smaller city. And after they'd sent up some spies up there, uh, the commander said, oh, look, he says, uh, Joshua, don't send up the whole army. It's just a few people up there. Just send a few thousand. And we'll, we'll just get it fixed up. No problem at all. They went up there, and they were absolutely defeated. Like they were routed. They were just killed and ran away. And, of course, everybody just comes home and says, what's happened? God has left us. Where is God in all of this? Why does God do this to us? And suddenly, uh, here is Joshua lying on the ground, and he's wailing and complaining, and as sometimes we, 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 we might do. And God says to Joshua, get up. He says, get yourself up off the ground. And he says, uh, and, uh, he says in ver chapter 7, verse 11, he says, Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I have commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them into their own possessions. And of course, through a series of, uh, 
of selection. They had to select the tribe of the guy that had done the deed. Then they selected the clan. And once they had selected the clan, they selected the family. And it ended up being that Achan was pulled out. And Joshua says to him, he says, come on. He says, confess. What have you done wrong, my son? And he says, oh, well, he says, I was in the city and I did all this thing that we had to do, kill things and wipe things out and burn things. But I saw this beautiful garment. And he says, I hid it. And he says, I've got it at home under my tent. He says, it's in amongst my stuff. And of course, uh, <laughs> make a long story short, the guy was wiped out. Um, and uh, this is Old Testament stuff now, like very severe. God says, my covenant is violated. We need to deal with it very severely, which they did. And as soon as they dealt with the sin and confessed it before the Lord and came right, they went in there and they won battle after battle after battle because now the favor and the blessing of the Lord was upon them. Can I suggest that there are many Achans in New Testament churches today? And New Testament churches not, not able to stand in the, in the face of the enemy, not able to make an inroad into their city and fight battle and win a victory after victory after victory because the anointing and the blessing of God isn't fully flowing. There are people, uh, as it says here, he says, God, um, they've taken some of the devoted things, they've stolen, they have lied, they've put them in amongst their own possessions. When the Israels were supposed to bring their tithe, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 26, again, it speaks there about the tithe, and they had to say certain things before the Lord. The Lord, they said, look, I have, I have not kept it in my own house. I, I brought it out. Tithe number one came into the temple for the priests. Tithe number two was carried away into Jerusalem, was used for their public holidays and everything. Tithe number three was given to the Levites, the fatherless, the strangers, and, and, uh, and the widows and everything. So he says, I have not eaten of the devoted thing in my mourning. You know, when, the, when somebody died, they would have had no doubt, uh, you know, some sort of a tonguey, some sort of a feast and everything, and suddenly the need, oh, we got all these people coming. How are we going to feed them? Oh, look, let's just, let's just use the tithe. And, and they said no God told him to say look man bring everything out of your house and give it away he says and and do with it what I told you to do he says don't keep it in your house don't put it in amongst your stuff because you put it amongst your stuff he says and the blessing of God will not be there and uh, and that was the whole deal that was set up here and I'm suggesting that we have too many Achans in the New Testament churches today and the churches are hindered held back many of them financially I know of scores and scores of preachers who are out working yet they've got sizable churches and there should be enough there but there is not because the Achans have kept the tithe at home they've eaten it they've, they've done all sorts of strange things with it uh, which was contrary to the way that God has set up the system friends let's get back to what the word says um, let's, let's do what God says uh, in fact I know of pastors um, and I'm not saying I don't necessarily uh, uh, subscribe to that practice. I know of pastors who will not have a non-tithing person in any area of service in the house whatsoever. Have you remember with uh, Terry Mice? He came to our ICFM convention uh, a couple of months ago, and he told the story when he first arrived into New Zealand. Uh, my good friend Jim Heath sent out two boys to picked the man up and, uh, and you know, to carry his luggage. And when he arrived and uh, the boys just did the right thing and grabbed the luggage. And he says, boys, put down my bags. They put down the bags and he says, are you boys tithers? And, and, and they said, yes. He says, okay, you can carry my bags. Because if you weren't tithers, he says, you're robbing from God and you'll sure are from me. And that was just a little lesson there. <laughs> that uh, not tithing is robbing God. It's robbing God. Not tithing is robbing preachers. And, and it's not just the present lot of preachers, but it's future generations of preachers. Because there's would-be preachers and wannabe preachers who are looking at the present preachers and say, I don't want that. I, I want a business career. I want to do well. I, I want this. I want that. I don't want that. So non-tithers are robbing future generations of preachers simply by the example that is outlived right now. And non-tithers are robbing the person sitting next to them who is a tither because we all held back by a lack of just simple finances and a lack of the full blessing of God on a house. Uh, there's another comment in the outline. I might as well 
throw that out now. Surveys have been done. Are we doing all right this morning? Okay. Um, surveys have been done on um, churches that are growing and where the anointing flows and there's just 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 a revival happening. And many of them, what's called mega churches, that are in the thousands. In fact, some of them are in the hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, one of them is in Seoul, Korea, under uh, um, um, Pastor uh, David Yonggi Cho. Um, they got some, I don't know, 900,000 members there. Uh, then there's another one in Portugal that is, in, is over 100,000. They got churches in South America that are just absolutely just, uh, just things are growing like wildfire there. They figured out that some of these churches, there's a pattern in what they do, a pattern in how they operate. They got some of these patterns that is evident in every one of those churches, and they found out that one of those patterns is that they strongly preach and practice the principle of tithing. Can I suggest that if you were to travel around New Zealand and go into different churches and examining what's going on, can I suggest that the dead churches, by and large, would be non-tithing churches and sometimes only held together by the extreme generosity of a few people in there who really have got a heart for this thing and don't want it to die. Friends, it's not right. It's just not right. And so uh, we need to step into what God has for every single one of us. It is a kingdom issue. It's not just about our own houses. And of course, God says, bring you all the tithes, all in other words, bring the tithes of all your income, not just your wages, but all of your business profits, of your investment profits, of this, all the tithes. God says, bring it all. And if you bring all, he says, I'll make sure that there's rain on your lands and that it brings forth crops and all of these good things. Uh, there's no such thing as a, uh, as a drought in a land that honors God. Shouldn't be, should never be. If there's a land, God says, you guys are going into a land flowing with milk and honey. And he says, there will be, there will be water. Of course, back in Egypt, they had to pump water out of the ground. He says, in this new land, he says, water will flow off the hills. He says, they will just be flowing with milk and honey. But God says, it's important that you do this, get this deal right with tithes and with offerings. And of course, uh, in the history of Israel, we can study, they've had their ups, they've had their downs. And typically, when the people backslid, one of the first things that they did was stop tithing. And when there was an Old Testament revival, and there were several along the way. One of them was under King Hezekiah. He was one of the few good kings that they had. Um, another one was under Nehemiah. You know, Nehemiah that came back from uh, Babylon to rebuild the temple walls. And of course, prior to that, there were Ezra, there were Joshua, there were Zerubbabel, and some of these characters there. When these people started to just bring their tithes, there was revival. When they held their tithes back, there was a backsliding. And can I suggest that that thing is played out in the lives of individual, uh, individuals across churches worldwide. When people are revived, tithing is not a problem. But when people are backslidden, tithing is very difficult for them. Bible tells us, he says, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So it basically bears out all over again that uh, where we put our treasure, that's where our heart is. And if people uh, don't put their treasure into the house of God, whatever their treasure might mean to them, whatever that may be to them, as we've said, it is different things to different people. Then if they put their treasure there, their heart will be there also. And I'm asking you today, how hungry are we for revival? Because I'm suggesting to you that the principle and the practicing of tithing is strongly linked to revival. Strongly. If you're not tithing, yet you're able to, and your heart doesn't prick you, you're backslidden. You're in a mess. But if your heart pricks you, and uh, as I say, if you're just new to these things and you're stirred up, do what you can and set a goal that, uh, that you're working up towards that. And uh, with that, you will come into a place of greater liberty. It's not just about prosperity. You're coming into a place of liberty. You're coming into a place of renewed spirituality. You're coming into a place of greater revelation. You see, the thing is that people go into churches and God says, I want there to be food in my house. Now, specifically, that food back then was natural food. Grain, new wine, 
olive oil and everything. And of course, it's still very necessary in the New Testament, though the terminology has changed. Back then, they brought goods. Today, we bring finance, all right? Um, can I suggest that non-tithers never receive much revelation knowledge because to them, that food, that spiritual food that is available there is not available or not largely available. And so you get people that are sitting in a service, two people side by side. One goes out and says, oh, that was a bit boring today. And the other person says, what? That was fantastic. I got so much out of it. What's the difference? In some instances, it could very well be the tide. But anyway, seeing we're all so happy this morning, let's move on and, uh, and uh, let's close the service and uh, let's enjoy great fellowship. And, uh, and I trust that the lunch that you brought wasn't paid with your tithe this morning or with the offering. That should have been brought into the house. You should have used your own money to uh, do that. But anyway, you, you'll work it out. Praise God. Father, we just want to once again thank you for your goodness and for your mercy. And we thank you, Father, that it's a new day. And your mercy is new every day. And so, Lord, we look to you once again, Father, in areas, Lord God, where perhaps our practices have, have lagged behind and have not measured up to what you have prescribed. I thank you, Lord, that today is a new day. I thank you, Lord God, this coming week is a new week. I thank you, Lord God, the next income is a new income, Lord, where we can arrange and rearrange things. And Lord, we definitely want the rains to fall on our lands. Lord, we definitely want the blessing and the favor of God to be there. Lord, we have the promises, but we want the favor. And so, Lord, we make a renewed commitment to tithes and to offerings. And Lord, we make a renewed commitment to put our treasure into the house where it belongs. We want our heart to be here. We want you, Lord, to have access to each and every one of our hearts. And I thank you again, Father, for every tither in this house. And Lord, I pronounce the blessing and the favor of God over their lives, over each one of their respective situations. And I pray, God, may the favor and the blessing of God be theirs. Lord, that you cause your faith to shine upon them, that the increase is bursting forth in every one of those situations. Lord, we're against hope, in hope we believe. Where things might not even be looking good, but Lord, you're able to turn it around. And we release our faith to that end in Jesus' name. Amen.